your soul! Wow, that's nice. How's it going, everyone? Welcome to another episode of what podcast this is this? Coffins and Coffee. That's what we're doing. I'm getting mixed up in my old Where age. Where am I? And uh, we're going to do something a little different this week. We're going to do something a little grindy, I think, uh, because we both saw a movie over the last week or so and it's an australian film called relic and you have some strong opinions of it i do you didn't even know it was an australian film uh i did when i saw it because everyone was talking australian yeah they were talking australian do you mean english um when you start speaking english then yes i will call it that but until then it's australian (laughs) okay okay um so in America, I don't know how it is there, but in America, uh, all normal theaters are, are closed right now. I know that there's some talk about maybe opening them back up, but um, as of now, they're closed. But what that's given way to, which I think is awesome, is drive-in movie theaters, which were kind of a niche thing, are starting to make a comeback. And I would love to see them stay. Yeah. Like, like our friend Justin, he invited us um, to go see a movie, which essentially equates to my car and his car parked next to each other and waving from an open window but but it was really it was a cool experience at first and towards the end (laughs) but well the sound yeah as you'll as you'll find as we talk about this film uh i was uh, my audio was invaded by aliens it's very underwater gurgling yeah. Now, so what So what made you watch... Well, I guess... So did you watch this film because I recommended it, or were you planning on seeing it anyway? No, I was planning on seeing it anyway. So there is a uh, streaming service here called Stan, uh, which is like okay. the Australian Netflix. And there, there are a lot of uh, TV shows that are licensed to Stan only here, like um, Penny Dreadful... RuPaul's Drag Race, right. like a bunch of those shows, you can only watch on Stan here. So this film so is, it, is it kind of like a is it kind of like Hulu in a way, like a yeah. mix between Hulu and Netflix? Yeah, essentially, yeah. So there's not only Australian stuff on it, but a lot of they do have the rights for a lot of streaming here. So they this film was a Stan original. So I guess like Netflix has Netflix original film films right, and Netflix yeah. series, and Hulu's got their own too. Um, so this is one of those. So they'd advertised it to come out on the 10th of July, which is after you guys got it, which is weird. You guys got it yeah, first. Yeah, because you guys yeah, you guys normally get things first, yeah. even if even if they're intended to be released on the same day because uh, you, you right live in the, the future. future. So, <laughs> yeah, normally you get stuff ahead of us. Yeah. That was like one of the perks of like being in America, though, because all these albums that were coming out on Fridays, I was getting them first because I had an Australian like right. Spotify account. Account, yeah, that was awesome. Yeah, so I'm never what did you? Rid of so, it. so what did you think about it? Like, so I, you, I, I haven't actually, I have no idea. So I just remember you saying, "I saw Relic. I have a lot of strong feelings about it," and I said, "Let's save it for the podcast." I know this isn't Grand House, but it's coffee and coffee, and we can do whatever we want. Okay, and let's we'll talk about the Illuminati. Don't let's worry. Let's just make a It'd point. Come up. <laughs> let's just make a point of saying now there are going to be fucking spoilers. So if you intend oh, on yeah. seeing this movie or you have not seen this movie yet, 
wait until after you've seen this movie, movie or if you don't care. Come back. It will only enhance your experience. Yeah. So watch this movie and then come back and we'll talk about it. And we'll give you guys a little bit of time to pause and whatever uh, and just talk about what you were telling me a moment ago, which is that Australia's starting to ramp up some film production, or at least wants to. Yeah. So the Australian government has put in like $400 million of incentives to try and bring uh, American films to film in Australia because pretty much everything's shut down in America, right? So you're one of the only um, shows that I've seen that's actually going ahead. <laughs> everything else is shut there's, down. There's actually... No, the, there's actually quite a number of them that are starting to move forward. It's just... Um, it's the larger films, like for example, Jurassic yeah. Park allegedly shut down, but I think they're in Australia. They so, might be. I think a lot of their stuff was actually filmed in New Zealand. Yeah, they're they're not in America, but they yeah. shut down after spending five million on COVID prevention. That's insane. So, uh, I know a Coca Cola commercial shot. Um, it's kind of a mixed bag, you know. Yeah. Uh, smaller, shorter run things are going. Things are like. Like for example, we were filming, and then we only had a couple weeks left. So it's the the mitigated risk of us going is 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 worth it for the studio. Yeah. Um, I think that like a uh, like our friend our for aforementioned friend Justin, he works as a DIT on Black Lightning, and they're pushing is my understanding, right? So so things like that are longer form, will probably wait a bit longer because this is way too much liability. Us just going for two weeks, we, we, there's at least a decent chance we might be able to get through it without any, you know, knock on wood, um, any any infections occurring. But but I can understand why Australia would want to draw some film work that way. And in fact, like, it's just a good idea anyway. Because, yeah. uh, like, in the States, for example, one of the things that was able to build up, say, like, Georgia, where I'm at now, or Texas previously, or New Mexico, one of the things that was able to build up their their film communities was films from LA going to those places for incentive purposes. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, whether it be a tax rebate or whether it be a cash rebate, there is in fact uh, there is in fact some sort of a you get the rub when you work with people who work on a lot of stuff, right? And then. Hopefully, if enough of that occurs, you build up your own local community like Georgia's done. Georgia's done a great job of that. New Orleans previously did a really great job of that. Uh, Michigan, for a very long time, did a really good job of that. Texas and and so on and so forth. If you can keep the incentive going, you can keep bigger, more experienced productions coming into town, then at some point, you're going to locally grow your own filmmakers, which is only going to benefit the country as a whole, not to mention just puts people to work. Which yeah, I'm sure a lot of people need. Yeah, exactly right. And you guys have got uh, you're filming in uh, Georgia right now, so you guys have got pretty decent tax breaks in there as well. So there's been a few really great films to come by way of New Zealand and Australia lately. Um, you know, Deathgasm from New Zealand. Uh, there was another Australian film really recently that came out, but Relic is Relic is one of those ones that like critically, at least in America. It's getting really good reviews. Yeah, a lot, of, and, and and I think it really helps. You know, a lot of times, uh, what makes a movie successful is the environment that you watch it. Yes, you know, like hundred percent. The first time I saw, yeah, the first time I saw Danzig's Veronica was in a theater, 
with a bunch of other people who had been drinking and laughing. Watching yeah. Danzig Veronica in your room by yourself might not be the same experience. No. No, I wouldn't okay, imagine so. so. I haven't watched that yet either, so. <laughs> we should definitely do that. We should do that at some point and like do like a like a riff tracks, you know, where we like start it at the same time and then we just riff on it as we watch it. That would be amazing. Yeah. We should do Danzig's Veronica versus Danny Filth's Cradle of Fear. Double feature. Dun, dun. Yes. Okay. So you've had ample time to go watch Relic. Spoilers. We're going to reveal a lot, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Um, so, what, so let me know. What were some of your strong feelings about Relic? Okay. So, so first of all, why don't you run through what this actual film's about? Because a lot of people might not have heard of it. Okay. So the general consensus is that this film is about three generations of women. A grandmother, a mother, and her daughter. And it, it's a film that deals with dementia and the struggles of dementia with a very horror sort of spin on it. So the mother's, the grandmother's been missing from the house. So her daughter, the, the mother, uh, I, I should probably have the names, Edna. Edna's the elderly lady who is um, starting to show signs of dementia. And the neighbors have said that they... They have not seen her around the premises lately. So her daughter, Kay, and her granddaughter, Sam, decide to come by and check on her. And then over the course of it, they start to realize that she's having issues with her mental faculties. And it starts to sort of spiral into this very dark, very chaotic, you know, ending that it sort of leaves the door open for interpretation. Yes. Yeah, definitely uh, this film is, you can look at it sort of two ways. It's, it's definitely like an allegory. It's, it's very metaphorical, um, I think, for, definitely for the later part of the film. Um, mm-hmm. Absolutely. But, but, well, what did you think? Okay, so, so I, my, my experience with it was, again, as we alluded to earlier, was a little bit, um, it was a little bit, uh, uh, stilted, stinted, stunted. It's a little bit stunted in that I, you know, the way that the uh, modern day drive in theaters work, you tune in to sort of an, an unused FM station and it will broadcast the audio. So right. your own car, you know, you're, you're, it's like getting surround sound, you know, because the sound is coming through your, your car speakers. And, um, for whatever reason, and it was only my car because I text Justin during the movie and I said, are you having this experience? And and he didn't. Aliens broadcast <laughs> down from the planet Uranus and were Uranus. fucking with the feed. So it was a re- it was kind of, you know, like, first of all, I didn't know this is an Australian film. So I didn't have my Australian uh, ear filters on. <laughs> so that was like, you know, takes just a moment to adjust to. And then. Uh, the, the, it was like you know, it was like some weird alien sounds that were like going on the whole time. So I missed. I mean, I, I could track the story, but I definitely wasn't getting the full experience for like twenty minutes of the flick. Yeah, <coughs> right. It Which sounded like you know that scene in Signs where you like get the baby monitor and they hold it up and it's like. <laughs> yeah. It sounded like that. You sent me a video. That was exactly what it was like. Yes, they were obviously trying to send us some kind of message. So that not being that that being withstanding, um, I I really liked it. 
Uh, honestly, I thought it was really good. I thought it was a a good way to tell a story with a relatively small budget and keep it contained and keep it intense and keep it eerie and uncomfortable. And I thought that they did a good job of giving you layers to this film. Now, I read a, I read a, a review that said that this film was ableist and ageist and all the ist. Um, but that's a stupid mm. take because, you know, people who who have the un, who who have it's very tragic when people have to deal with with uh, dementia in real life. And uh, I've been very fortunate not to. I, I read another review with a reviewer who had several people in his family who had had dementia. And right. It's a challenge. It's very tough. It's the people that you especially in this instance, it's like the the person who raised you no longer um is it can fulfill that role as the protector and it's incumbent upon you to step up, you know? Yeah. It's like your child your your parents raised you and 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 changed you and um nurtured you all through your life. And that at some point they will need that same care, whether it's from you or from, you know, a lot of people put people in homes and things of that nature. And so I'm sure what the objection is, is in, in modern day uh, Twitter universe, you can't ever offend anyone. But that is very that, – that's the opinion of someone who's not a filmmaker. It's a tragedy. It would be like saying – it would be like saying like uh, Romeo and Juliet is problematic because it glorifies suicide. And they're both you know? like fucking 15 years old. Yeah, that would be like it'd be like calling William Shakespeare a pedo because the characters in, in Romeo and Juliet are underage. I think they're like actually fourteen, standards. fourteen or fifteen. Right, which mm. probably I, I don't know enough about it, but for that time period, it was probably of age. Yeah, you were probably, people were probably married when they were fourteen. <laughs> but uh, but you know, I walked away from it. You know, the, again, um, the the audio issues not the audio issues notwithstanding. And I thought it was really good. I, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was just it, – it sent its message a little on the nose at points. But I definitely felt like it got across what it needed to get across without being exploitative. What about you? Right. I had some feelings. I, I love <laughs> hearing about your feelings. Share your this – is, this is – listen, it's just husband. you and I and the millions upon millions oh. listening around the world – this is a this is the circle of love and trust. <laughs> so feel free to share. You know, if it's if it makes it easier for you to 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 feel um, uh, free enough to expose yourself emotionally, take the robe off, kick your feet up, <laughs> take your shirt off, whatever makes you comfortable. Oh my god! This is your time. Where is this, this going? This is your safe space. <laughs> um. Okay. There are a few things that are wrong with this film that I feel. I, I, I'm kind of glad that we do have sort of polarizing opinions on this film because I think it makes it a little bit more interesting. So, I didn't like it. <laughs> I mean, it's not okay. just, it's not to say that this is a bad film. I think this film suffered from a few things. Where I think it fell down is that this is one of those films that feels like the whole movie was built around the last 20 minutes of the film. So I, I could see where you're getting with that. Right. So the writer and the director or the, the okay, so the writer has written has had this great idea for like an ending of a film. And gone this I love this metaphor. I love how this would look visually in my mind. Like let's write a movie about this rather than 
I've got a really good story that I want to tell. So it's like if so you didn't feel like, you didn't feel this was a good story. No, I thought the story was good, but I feel like that they've written a story around a scene or around backwards. They've written it backwards, right? So it's like um, uh, in that interview with Kevin Smith where he says he's got this one scene that he really wants to do with a cat, and he's like, I've just never had anywhere to put it, so I haven't used it, right? Right, because you can't mm-hmm. build a whole movie around this one fucking scene because it wouldn't make any sense. It would be stupid. So I think a lot of films definitely have... You can definitely see it when a filmmaker has written a story that they like versus they've written they find a scene that they really, really like and they're like, oh, well, we need to make this into a movie. We need to write the start to lead up to this scene. The last 15 okay. minutes of the movie was good. But I definitely mm-hmm. think that this person has watched way too much Arnofsky. <laughs> right? I could see some parallels, yeah. sure. Okay. Um, especially that... Sorry, I'm, I'm dog-sitting and this dog's, like, going fucking crazy. Um, <laughs> um, the dog liked the movie. The dog wrecked the movie? Liked the movie. Oh, liked the movie. No, she would not have. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean... That final scene. <clears throat> what the fuck? Let's peel grandma. There is literally a scene at the end of the movie where they're like, fuck, let's get out of here. And then the mom's like, oh, no, I need to go back in and save grandma. And then they go into a room and they start peeling grandma. Peeling her skin off. Yeah. And then they all yeah. lie down and spoon together. Roll credits. Right. So. All right, so I'm gonna I'm gonna bring up a couple things that I saw, and maybe see if this changes your and your opinion is valid, but there might be some things that um, that maybe will may just change your perspective on it a little bit. So it is definitely a slow burn film, and there's been a rash of them lately. the The term that always uh, the much maligned term that gets thrown around is elevated horror. Mm. And I think where the issue is, is that for a long time, horror has sort of felt, I mean, granted, there's always all kinds of different horror all the time, but there, but there are certain expectations. I one time produced a film for Chiller and they told me they needed a death scene every five, uh, every 10 pages or some, or some sort of scare every 10 pages, which right. is roughly every 10 minutes in the film to keep the, uh, the audience interested. So... This sort of new crop of filmmakers who are making movies that are that that fit in the horror genre, but they're not they don't follow the traditional structure, I think tends to people tend to bump up against that sometimes. Um, so it is definitely a slow burn, and I know that that is that always is polarizing, but I felt it was really appropriate because uh, much like dementia, it's a slow onsetting, you know, deterioration of your mental faculties. And I thought that the pacing of the film sort of mirrored that, you know, in the beginning, she's just gets lost. And then, you know, but, but as the film goes, you just see the dementia deepening and deepening and deepening until it gets to a very um, chaotic ending, right? The last 15 minutes get pretty intense. 
The other thing that they introduced that I don't know if you picked up on because it's a pretty dark film, and I, I don't mean just I don't mean tonally. I mean like from a lighting perspective, it's very oh, dark. Definitely, so, I uh, had actually sent a message to my mum and told her to watch it because the trailers, um, yeah, looked awesome. The trailers look cool. I'm like, I need yeah. to watch this. So whoever did the trailers, fucking ten out of ten, did a really good job. My mother went to watch it during the day, and she's like, I couldn't watch it. I could, I physically. It was unwatchable. It, it was clearly the DP who DP'd the last season of Game of Thrones. Ah! Must have been the DP for this. Yeah. Because that show got real dark as well. But um, throughout the house... So there's a moment in the film where they reference that her grandfather, which I think is the... Uh, I think is Kay's great-grandfather, also died of dementia in that house. Yeah. Or suffered from dementia. And he was abandoned. The household itself sort of is, is symbolic for her own descent into dementia, right? right. Um, her losing the battle against it. And uh, throughout the house is black mold. I don't know if you noticed I that. I did, yes. It's also paralleled with a, a sort of moldy spot on her chest. So black mold, amongst one of the many things, is very dangerous for people to live in, right? Uh, amongst one of the many dangerous side effects of living with black mold is hallucinations, Yes. And it's also connected with dementia. So if you breathe in black mold spores long enough, it can cause dementia. So there is a a train of thought that says that this family history of dementia could, in fact, be as a direct result of living in this household and or that the household is just a metaphor for something that is unfortunately um, passed along from generation to generation. Right. Yeah. So, you know, I didn't. So I didn't mind the slow part because I thought it was, um, you know, it's a, it, it it sort of goes from a drama to a thriller throughout the course of the film in a very slow manner that I think is a little bit more representative of real life as opposed to just having someone go crazy. And um, a lot of people, a lot of young people, who have the very disfortune uh, uh, the uh, the unfortunate reality of having to have a parent suffer through this much like Kay does it throughout the film they sort of ignore it they make excuses why they can't be around more yeah. or they put them in a home whatever it may be and um i think what you got at the end was that she that that edna's not a monster in spite of her dementia that in fact she's quite She's quite pathetic and sad, you know. When 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 the when the creature, so to speak, is unveiled, when when all the grandma's skin is torn off, and you see this like almost looks like a mummy. Like you ever see like the Egyptian mummies, you know? Yeah, that was many, a many um, centuries later. That was an animatronic as well. I was reading about. Oh, was it? Yeah, it was an animatronic oh, cool. that they built that you could like peel all the skin off. It's pretty cool. That was cool. Yeah, so like when you when you get it all off, you're expecting like a demon, right? You're expecting like something monstrous, and in fact, it's just very sad. It's sad and lonely, right? Yeah. Which is really what the reality of it is of people who are suffering from dementia. Even if the dementia causes them to do um, volatile actions, in the end, there's there are people suffering. And what I took away from the sort of the cuddle scene, the spooning scene, was that unlike in generations past. Kay was not going to leave Edna. She was going to take care of her. She was mm. going to stay with her. And and Sam, who is Kay's child, 
who realizes that her mom is much likely is very likely to suffer the same afflictions that her mom is dealing with also decides that she will stick away so it's kind of like generation generationally they've changed course whereas their great-grandfather was left alone right. to suffer dementia by himself they've decided that as a family as a family of three women you know three different generations they're going to be there for one another and and change the course of a family of abandonment yeah 100 percent. like i get all that i get it but i think the other thing that this movie lacked was character development i didn't care about anybody the, the old lady i feel like there was like a decent amount of character like enough character development there but the mother and the daughter i just did i couldn't give two shits about there was like no character mm. development there the mother looked like a fucking bitch if we're being real like she looked like she was bothered that her mother uh, was missing i mean she didn't look upset she or is. sad she's just like annoyed she is i i think that's intentional i think intentionally she's selfish much like they were like her family was for her great-grandfather and, 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 and look let's be honest i think a lot of people are like that you know yeah, i think maybe. a lot of people don't want to deal they just don't want to deal with the fact that like they now have a responsibility yeah you know? i mean you some could people, be right some people look at responsibility like burdens i think it was an intentional choice that she's bothered I think that she's living in denial about what's happening. And most importantly, I think she's living in denial about her role right. that she must now fulfill. Yeah. And she must now be the caretaker for her mother like her mother was for her. So you're right on that. And I think that um, it's understandable not to like her because she's not that likable, I guess. You know, because we all think that we would be different, right? We all believe that we would step up. And, right. and do the the virtuous thing. But the reality of it is is, is no one really knows that. I, you know, I have a friend who's, whose father is very ill and he's had to spend many weeks, you know, shaving him and changing his clothes. And, you know, it, it's it's a very it's a very hard thing for a child to take care of, to see their fa- their parent or their father, you know, uh, mother so feeble and to have to really be there for them. And some people step up and then some people are like, hey, and they're kind of bitches about it. You know, they're kind of like jerks about it. They're kind of dicks about it. They're yeah. self-centered. And it's probably likely sort of a um, uh, self-protection, yeah. right? If I can be – if I'm aloof about it, then maybe I won't uh, I won't ha- be so burdened by this. You know, there may be some guilt or shame associated. But I could definitely see it's a little hard to get into – like it. and and uh, here's another thing like and I think this is a legit criticism and and maybe this is a little bit of why you're feeding these things is um it's not just a slow paced film the dialogue is really slow yeah I think and that's it, it too little, like, like there's not much there's nothing to grab you at the start of the film at all really like even the looking for the like they go like there's a scene I think it's like. 10 seconds where they're looking for her and the rest of the time they're just like oh cool we'll just fucking chill at her house like shouldn't it have yeah, been like th- a harrowing search like an old lady has fucking gone missing your mother is missing I don't know I mean maybe you're right I mean I mean, I think in film you would normally see something more you know dramatic yeah um, you know these kind of this is why these kind of films tend to be kind of uh 
um, polarizing because they're they're for a lot of this film it's almost slice of life. You know, we were talking yeah. off air about some friends not liking Once Upon Once Upon a Time in uh, Hollywood, which is fucking fantastic, which is also brilliant. But struct but structurally, it's very similar. Nothing really happens in that movie of consequence until the last 15 minutes but the difference it's there like you're just following you two dudes fuck about the characters you like the characters you want them do you want well, to see them win or you want to see them lose yes you give a shit about the outcome whereas i found with this movie i i didn't really care like i i would for like i was like i don't even know these people's names who are they yeah like I, yeah i could definitely see that because there is uh it it starts slow Again, and like I'm not just talking about pacing. Um, the dialogue seems journey. N- yeah, not interest, not interested in itself. Mm. There's like no animation. And again, I think that's a. Cr- yeah, and I think that's a creative choice, and I and I like it, but I could see why it's hard to get into because, um, you need something to grab you. You need someone, like like I love Bella Heathcote. Bella Heathcote was in. Um, she was really a bright spot in Tim Burton's Dark Shadows. Mm. She plays Victoria Winters, and I just started watching the show called Strange Angel. Was it Strange Angel? Yeah, Strange Angel, which is about um, Jack Parsons, who was a rocket builder. Yes. Who joined an Aleister Crowley uh, organization, and she plays his wife. She's fantastic. She's a very charismatic actress. They don't give her a lot here. No. I mean, she does her role perfectly, but they don't give her much to connect with on a personal level. It's very dry. Maybe that's the maybe that's kind mm. of like a, the overall theme of the dialogue is all the dialogue seems very dry monotone. and a little bit monotone and not super engaged with itself yeah. to give you just something to relate to. And I think as well, like just a little bit off topic of, of characters, like just some of the lighting choices in this movie were str- and colouring choices were very strange to me. Um, some of them I get, like I get it. But there's a scene where she's going to look at a nursing home. It's during the day. Uh-huh. And every hallway in that, I, I don't know whether this is supposed to be metaphorical or it was a deliberate choice for that reason or whether someone just fucked up. All the hallways are, like, dark. There's no lights. Like, would not happen in a nursing home, okay? Like... Yeah. It just looked I, wrong. I, I, and my sister I was watching it with, who and she's a nurse, she's like, why the fuck are all the hallways dark? I'm like, I don't know. I don't know. It's during the day. Why is it so dark? I, I would have to... I would have to guess that's a choice. Uh, the, the, the film is literally dark the whole way through. And again... To me, there there is so much detail in this film that I have to assume that everything was an active choice. Yeah, and and that sort of brings me to um, you know the themes of this film and what and what the writer and the director were trying to say. Now, someone told me once, but regarding writing, don't assume that the audience knows. Nor That's very accurate. should you do information dumps. Okay. Also accurate. You can't say, I did this for this reason, but not accurately portray that because it's just going to come off as a... 
dog's climbing on me. Um, uh, the dog is going to be in the background. We're going to just let it be. She Well, she was in the foreground climbing all over me. I'm sorry. Um, I don't blame her one bit. Like, don't... I'd be climbing all over you too. Oh, my God. Yes, you would. Um, <laughs> like, you shouldn't assume that the audience is going to know what you're trying to portray. You need to portray it. And you shouldn't have to explain it afterwards. Sure. So give me an example. An example of that? It's like, I don't yeah. know. If you're going to say that, you need to do it well. Like, as an example, the scene in the nursing home, okay? If you're, and I, I said, oh, why is it so fucking dark? Like, if you're trying to make it look like this is a depressing scene, she's sad, you know, there's themes of, you know, her being melancholy she's looking at a nursing home to put her mother in this is you need to show that in other ways don't just make the hallways black like change the whole like colorization of that scene put some blues in there i don't know what budget they had my guess is not very big this is just there was a director's choice to make it very dim and maybe and again i don't want to i don't want to give credit necessarily where it's not due but you know i could certainly see whereas um, they they were trying to tell a story about how dementia, you know, from the perspective of someone who's going through dementia, everything seems dark. Everything seems unclear, you know. Um, and maybe they tried to replicate that in the filming and lighting of the a project so that you experience some little inkling of what Edna's experiencing. Right. So, but that shouldn't have to be explained. Like, if that's going to be the, the themes that you're going to go for, like make it a little bit more obvious like you can certainly like to a a much larger degree though if you look at films like mandy they made very Mm -hmm. very obvious um color choices for certain scenes to make to show you certain sets of emotions and feelings and things like that sure obviously on a much larger scale like in a very a lot more obvious but this was like almost so not obvious that it felt like a mistake it felt like I could definitely understand where you're. I, I could definitely understand where you're coming from. I, I I did not see it that way. Uh, to me, it was pretty clear to like what the intent was. But that being said, it is a thing, and this is something we were talking about a little bit off air that I think could be playing a part into this. Is that um, we have certain expectations when we go into movies. This film feels like an indie. I think it's really really good. I, mean, I think it's excellent, actually. I would go so far as it's an excellent film. But aesthetically, it looks like an indie film. It's a very right. small cast. It's very darkly lit. It's got, like, the lighting feels very yellowy, and, you know, and, and practicals only. Um, it's very dialogue heavy. You know, it's in one location. So all, all those things are sort of the hallmarks of, like, I got no money, but I want to do a film, and I'm going to write to my budget. That being said... I, I, I thought it just pulled it off really, really well. But um, we oftentimes will see these things that we've seen in worse films, and we just—it's hard to get into it because it just feels low, feels low budge. It feels like no production yeah. value was put into it. Exactly, and I think the problem that comes from having movies with such a small cast, like you've got very little to work with. Like, your dialogue has to be strong and your acting has to be strong. And I think I think you're right when you were talking about the dialogue before. It's like I felt like that 
I found myself just not wanting to pay attention anymore because I was kind of bored with the I dialogue. Could see that. Like the dialogue wasn't interesting enough for me. Like it did what it had to do, but it wasn't interesting. Like you can look at other movies mm. that do have small, like even a, another low budget film that was sort of same sort of theme, I guess. Like what was it, A uh, Girl on the Third Floor? Oh yeah, right. Uh-huh. So very small cast. But, like, that guy, I fucking hated him. He was a fucking prick. I'm like, I fucking hate this guy. I hope he fucking dies. Fuck that guy. I don't want him to win. I want him, like, get him. Fucking kill him. Like, because he was such a prick and everything he said, like, and all of the dialogue that they gave him had intent and the way he said things had intent, whereas this is sort of like... I'm dragging on to get to the last 15 minutes of this film because this is the part that I really want to show people, but we need to build a story up until that point. Yeah, I I don't think... Personally, I don't think that that's kind of how they approached it. I think that they had someone who had a message to to say, someone who had a message that they wanted to say that was probably personal to them, and this is the approach they took to convey that. That being said... I think a lot of it is also the presentation. In yeah. spite of the bad audio that I had, I I was at a drive-in theater where I was kind of watching the film, and um, I don't think I would have had as I would have been as interested in the film had I watched it on my couch because y- you can you can miss whole chunks of. I mean, I I literally did. I missed whole chunks of audio, or could barely understand them, mm. and I could follow the story. Which tells me, well, that's both good and bad, right? Because, like, I could follow the story without hearing what they were saying, but it also kind of makes what they're saying somewhat expendable. Right. It was, what they're saying was very expendable. And, like, I think with you, like, missing big chunks of dialogue, you probably got a better chance to really take in what was happening visually. Um, I had to. As well, you didn't have <laughs> much of a choice. Or, or, or crazy alien sounds. <laughs> um, but, yeah, it's... I don't. I don't know. Like there, I. I don't know. I. I just. I couldn't. I just didn't feel this film at all. And like well, the wonderful thing about mm-hmm. film is that you don't have to like it, even if other yeah. people like it. You know, like the a lot a long time ago, I had a um, creative writing teacher who told me that you can't kind of what you were alluding to earlier. You can't explain things to the audience. You won't be in their room. You won't be sitting on the couch next to them when they watch your film. You can't say, oh, well, this is what I meant. It's got to be in the flick. Yeah. Right? And and if it doesn't work, that is okay. Now, that, that, doesn't, mean, that doesn't mean that all opinions are equal. Right? Like I had someone – I saw two people on Twitter today dead ass say that, that Dr. Sleep is better than Shining. Mm. One of which – one of these people who's a film writer. Mm. So – Look, you might enjoy it more. You might enjoy it more. There are people who like The Phantom Menace and Attack of the Clones. That's fine. You're allowed to like whatever you want to like. But there's a difference between... Like, that's just a stupid assertion. Now, if you say, which film do I prefer? Which film can I watch more often? Totally understand that. But if you have any inkling of filmmaking, saying that Doctor Sleep is better than The Shining is foolish. Right. But I don't think we'd need to go to quite those extremes for this film. I definitely could see why it would be a film that is either loved or it's meh. You know, maybe not hate it. I don't know that many people hate it, but I think it's very – I could easily see this film being one of those films that's either like 
my god, what great filmmaking, or meh, it insists upon itself. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it insists, it insists upon itself, right? Um, and, and look, I while I sound very critical, I didn't hate it. Like, I watched it. I watched it to the end. And there are a great deal of movies, like, where I've just gone, I can't. I fucking can't. I'll turn it off. I just didn't. I can't. But I just, I just missed the mark for me, especially when it was marketed as a fucking terrifying film. Which for three well, quarters not. of it, it was not. And and even the end was uh, kind of creepy, but it wasn't scary. Yeah, I do think I, – I didn't see the trailer before. I had no – I had no no knowledge of this film before I saw it. I literally walked into it with a blank slate because Justin invited us to the theaters. And he's like, I'm about to watch this film. And I said, cool, never heard of it, but I'm down to do something because we've all been inside the house for a long time. Um. So I went into it with no preconceptions, and so I watched it just as a movie, and it was fine. Uh, I'm sure that they've marketed it as a horror film, which it's not. It's not really a horror film. It is a a thriller with some horror elements at the end, but it's really – I don't even know if I'd say it's a thriller. It's a drama. It's a, it's yeah. a slow burn drama. Yeah, I mean – and that's the thing, and that and this is one thing actually. While I say the trailer was great, the trailer was great because all of the good bits from the movie were in the trailer. And Which I always fucking sucks. hate that. Oh fuck, that makes me so fucking mad. Like you've just shown all I the cool shit. I don't understand why they do that either. Like I could get why they would do that for this, because if you presented this to someone like the average moviegoer and said, hey, this is going to be a a director's personal story about dementia, about three women coping with it. I think a lot of people are going to be like, pass, right? But you say, um, you know, because the the market for like artistic message-driven movies, while that's increasing, they almost, they're, they're tough to get the audiences into it. Like, I just watched The Witch recently, and it's the same thing. It's a very – I mean, it's even a slower burn, really. You know, but even in The Witch, even though The Witch really is building to a crescendo, there's still multiple moments without it that are, like, pretty eerie, pretty scary, you know. Um, with Relic, it, it is really, like, dialogue-driven until, like, definitely the second half of the film and really, like, the last 15 minutes. Yeah, but if, like – okay, so we talked about – like, I, I spoke about, like, Arnofsky before – who I think's fucking brilliant. A lot of people don't like his stuff. I think he's great. Those people are dumb. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, but if you look, like, let's just say um, a movie like Mother, this that was very polarizing too. But I, I liked, yeah, the thing about Mother was, like, MTV wouldn't play it, you know, for, like, five years. And then, like, there was, like, a chicken sacrificing scene in it. And then, like... There's a scene where they Dan eat a baby. Telling- like... Danzig was telling people to walk, tell to tell your children not to walk yeah, his way. Yeah, do it. <laughs> don't hear his words. What they mean what he says. What they say. Mother. <laughs> Someone should cut a trailer for Darren Aronofsky's mother to Danzig's mother. Danzig Aronofsky. Oh my god. Illuminati confirmed. But like that, I mean, and and this is like a thing as well. His style, that's his fucking style. He's very metaphorical. All of his movies are allegories. Like, he does it well if you look at, like, 
Black Swan, you look at Requiem for a Dream, you look at Mother, The Fountain, like all of those movies, they're classically him. That's how he writes. Did you know our buddy Nigel is in uh, The Wrestler? Oh, is he? Yeah, very briefly at the end. He's like one of the background wrestlers. That's hilarious. I did not know that. We have to go back and and watch that now. But like... He's, He's got like blonde, spiky hair. I will have to watch and keep an eye out for him. Um, but like that's that's how he writes, and uh, that's how like that's how he does his films. Whereas this sort of felt like this person's gone. That's the kind of movie I want to make. I'm going to try and just make the ending like this. Whereas I think if they kept that theme going through the whole movie, because if you watch Mother, it's uh, it's a slow burn too, kind of. Yeah, but the difference is that. Yeah, the difference is that Aronofsky has a way more dynamic directing style. Yeah. So that even if it's weird and slow, like a lot of weird and slow, cool looking stuff happens. Like, yeah. Working for a Dream, every time they shoot up, there's some really creative angles of like the closest up of the syringes and the, the drugs going into their veins. Yeah. And there's enough, there's enough visual stimulation to keep you engaged. Right. Whereas this film... Is it was written and directed? The, the it was written by the director and also another person, Christian White. Yeah. The director had only done shorts before. It it definitely has that vibe. She does. It, I mean, again, uh, maybe this movie doesn't call for more of a stylistic approach. It, do, it certainly doesn't seem that that's the way they approach it. But she doesn't have that, and that's usually something like when we talk about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, or it's we talk about The film. Witch, or we talk about any of those kind of like films that don't follow the traditional narrative structure, there's usually a um, a shininess, I guess, to them yeah. that is absent in this film. This film is very much like we have a message. It's 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 very brilliantly done. I thought it was very, very well crafted. It's a very good indie. It's a very great it's indie. It's a good indie film. You know? You're right. A hundred percent it's a good indie film, but a blockbuster it is not. No, and like I'm looking at not that IMDb is by any stretch r- realistic, but like it's like six out of ten is what it's rated, which makes sense. You know, the critics love it, but yeah. people are kind of split on it. I guarantee there's a lot of people who are gonna be like, I don't get it. What's mm. the hype? I think um, that's the thing. Like for if, and if you okay, if you want to look at like an Australian film that's like thematically is similar. Like I don't know if you have you ever seen The Babadook. No, I haven't, but I have seen both Crocodile Dundees. <laughs> okay, nothing like those films. Um, but I do know what a knife is and what a knife is not. Okay. Did the Babadook teach us that? Uh, no. <laughs> yeah. But if, well, I mean, if you want to watch something. Oh my God. But if you want to watch something that is indie, that is a bit of a slow burn, that I think gets a lot of those things right you should watch The Babadook it's another Australian film it's very okay. very good the, the way this was sort of portrayed reminded me a lot of how like Hereditary was portrayed it's funny because I watched a review of that of this film that and and that, that seems to come up often it feel it feels almost like the, the writer directors of this film watched Hereditary and then wanted to do their version of Hereditary yeah and don't quite have the style that Ari Astrid has. No. Um, because like like his films are slow burns too, but again, there's a lot of visual stimulation throughout the films that makes you engaged. Right. There's a lot of things they could have done. Um, again, I'm not a director. I'm not a filmmaker. Like, 
And it's, you're a writer. And it's, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm like a dollar You're a writer and you worked on two films. <laughs> no. Have you, you are a writer. Your work is fantastic. Aww. You're very good at story structure. But, like, I, don't, I just, like, I think if they'd taken a little bit more time with it, there's a lot of cool little, like, I like subtle nuances in film. That you sort of like, oh wait, and you have to like rewind it, maybe go back, have a look, like oh this, like or you watch it a second time, like oh I didn't see that before. It's like real cool, weird little things, like symbolic things. Like this was very straightforward. Um, it, yeah, it was. And look again, I I, I got to give a little credit. So I'm looking at her IMDb sort of credits now. The Erica James, she's done f- like five shorts before. You know, yeah. I mean, for someone's um, only done shorts, fantastic. Like, like this is her directing credit. So she did Relic. Then she directed Drumwave, Cresswick, Burrow, and Tritch, all shorts, over the, la- over the last nine years. Then she's done some um, ADing of mostly shorts, one of which is called Sue Has a Dick, um, which oh. I'll definitely put on my list yes. to watch. It looks like she wrote all of the shorts that she did. So look, she, she looks like she's like pretty fresh out of film school. She's a young woman, and she had a personal story to tell. And if you keep it within that context, I think it is very, very well done. But I think your assumptions, especially as a writer, you're you're noticing why you're not engaged in this, and I think it's very valid. I do think there's some subtlety in it. I thought the black mold was a nice touch, like yeah. I mentioned earlier. I I like the post-it notes to sort of represent her fragmented mind. You know, I think I thought those were things were really cool too. Um, but but again, if I was at home on my couch, I think I agree with you. I don't know if I could stick through to the where it gets good because it's so slow. Like if I had just flicked on Shutter and saw this. And had heard nothing about it, I probably wouldn't have stayed through it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I don't know, check out who produced it, meanwhile. Uh, huh. Let me see. Let's see who I was. I was this. like, wow. Oh, okay. Oh, I did I did see this, actually. Jake Gyllenhaal? Yeah. This is, this is strange. I was like, oh, okay. And, and, and Anthony and Joe Russo. There's a lot of pedigree behind this. So Anthony and Joe Russo did the fucking Endgame. Oh, did they? There you go. Yeah. So I would guess that Anthony and Joe Russo have a production company that picked this film up or, or, or they sold the script to or something. And then they either, you know, either Jake Gyllenhaal and or um, the Russo brothers got wind of this person. And that is how this thing kind of got some legs underneath it. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I just yeah, I I, I don't want to like shit on anybody. Like film writing's not easy, uh, directing certainly not easy, and it's very easy to be on the outside and say, oh, you should have done this, you should have done this, you should have done this, because it's you know not as cut and dry as that. But yeah, this this one was not for me. Not for me. Well, that is certainly that's certainly okay. Every art is subjective. That's the beautiful thing about it. Um, so over on Grindhouse, we tend to, well, we I have a Tusk's great rating. Blah. We have splotches. We do have splotches. So over in Grindhouse, I've given, I've sort of created a, a, a rating system based on my unnatural love of the movie Tusk. So fucking weird. Kevin Smith's tough. The his of- masterpiece. It is weird. 
It's beautifully weird. The amount of times you've brought up Tusk, it's weird. You love it. It's not that, that movie. weird. It's a great film. It's so good. It goes so uh, <laughs> It goes weird real fast. Which is great and, and is, is something that I always really admire. In fact, um, you know, I, I think one of the uh, many of the criticisms you have about this film, I think, uh, are because it doesn't go weird enough. You know, yeah. it's so earnest. It's very it's a very earnest film. And I and I mean that respectfully but also um it, it, look I don't, again i'm sure the filmmaker would argue that this is not a subject matter that that requires or or um has a place for stylistic weirdness um but again this is that that is that that is where a little bit of the it insists upon itself vibe comes right. from and and you're and maybe if there was a little bit more weirdness to it it might have been a bit more engaging throughout. But look, it's doing really well. You know, it's got a machine marketing it. You know, those are those are big names as producers, so it's going to get some it's going to be successful regardless of your feelings of it. But yeah. um but we're not a show that talks about money because we don't care about that. We're a show that talks about artistic credibility and therefore out of 5 splurges, 0 being this is terrible. And five being this is the Kevin Smith's Tusk of movies. <laughs> How many splorches do you give this film? Oh, it's really hard because like indie, it, a lot of people could argue, and I'm sure you'll agree with me. Indie film is like tougher than like Hollywood. Uh yeah yeah <laughs> I mean yeah I mean yeah you know you got to do what you can with what you have. I think it could have used a little bit more flushing out. I think it could have had another script pass. Um, Jeez. I don't want to sound like a jerk either because indie is so difficult. Uh, And for a first time out, for like a first feature, I think it's great. Um, This person's only done shorts before, so yay for them. For me, like, I'm going to give it like a 2. 2.5 maybe. Okay. That's a really respectful rating for a film... That again, like I said at the very beginning, I think most people will find somewhat, somewhat uh, polarizing, and um, you know I think there's a lot of potential there for sure, and I I think again, uh, we'll see we'll see what the next project is, you know yeah. I, I think this is good for out the gate, I I wouldn't make a bunch of movies like this, I don't think that they will be very commercially interesting but again it's all it's about artistic creativity and um credibility so i'm gonna give it three splorches it's a very good indie film i would even say it's a great indie film um i i would have preferred again that maybe this was a budgetary decision but like i would have preferred a little bit better lighting and not better lighting just different just not everything in darkness like you know especially because i saw it in theater um which is not you know the way like theaters work like they really rely on darkness to for the the image to be crisp yes and um there's some jerk off who doesn't know how to turn his headlights off during the movie <laughs> so like i lost some things you know that i would have liked to have seen but you know that's nitpicky stuff so i i'll go middle of the road it was a very good to great indie i'm excited to see what else this filmmaker does um i think you if you like slow movies and you're 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 down for the cause. You'll probably like it. And if you like your movies to have a little bit more pop to them, 
it might not be that interesting to you. Right, exactly. I mean, if you do want to, if you do want to watch like another, uh, you know, some other good, like films that I thought did quite well for being a little bit indie, um, that are Australian. The Babadook was really good. I thought Wormwood, um, which is a hilarious Australian zombie film. Um, did really really nice. well. That, uh, it's it's silly and it knows what it is, and I think that makes that makes all the difference too. It's like if you know what sort of movie you're making too. Like it knows it's a silly film. Right. It knows it's a cheap film, and it does really well to like expand on that and play with it, which I think is what made it so good. Um, another one that was unexpected that I really like was did you see? Uh, it depends on what region you're in or what it's called. It's either called Ghostland or Incident in a Ghostland. I think it came out last year. No, I haven't seen that. I, I I know Ghost World that came out years ago, no. but I don't think it's the same thing. No, not the same thing. Um, That's worth checking out if you want to do, if you want to see another cool little indie film that's a bit weird. Um, That did really well. But yeah, this one, okay. this one was not for me. I'm sorry. Well, oh, you don't have the problem. <laughs> I didn't make the film. I'm apologizing to the I wouldn't care if you said about films I do make. Um, but... I hope you guys enjoyed our review of Relic. I know this is usually the thing we do on the other show, but uh, I thought because it is it is uh, Australian hometown filmmaking and uh, our Miss Ophelia here is a writer in her own right and she had strong feelings about it, <laughs> we would take a break from going into a show with no idea what we're talking about uh, and do a little review on some art, yes. which we haven't done in a while. So it's nice to mix it up. We'll be back to creating cults and... Talk about porn activity some other week. No, gotta stop talking about that. It's gross. (laughs) But until next time, thank you guys once again for listening. And I want to plug one thing actually before we leave. So my my sister turned me on to this. It's this new web browser called, and we're not like sponsored by them, but if they want to, cool. It's called Ecosia. Ecosia, I guess it's E C O S I A. It's a web browser. And for every um, search that you do, when you accumulate a certain number of searches, they plant a tree. And oh, they cool. have, as of, yeah, my, yeah, it was just a couple of days ago, my, my sister like sent me the thing. She's like, you got to use this. So I was like, all right, let me check it out. And uh, it's set up almost exactly like Google, you know. But um, if you, at the very bottom of your search bar, you know, it's like, you know how like when you go to Google's main page, it says Google, and then it's got your search bar, and then... Um, it might have like your favorites listed or something. Right, um, right beneath that, this is set up the same way except it's a Ecosia. Um, it has how many trees have been have been. It's a ticker. Oh, cool! Uh, like a rolling clock of how many trees have been planted. And as of right now, there have been one hundred one million eighty four thousand eight hundred and fifty three four five six seven eight nine eight sixty so super cool so guys uh and ladies and everyone in between you know google is the uh, a big devil anyway so maybe swap over you can just add it to your chrome as well and it counts so check that out and check out relic let us know what you think about it let us know if you think that it's the greatest thing since sliced bread or if it is uh, something, a movie that insists upon itself or where you think it lies. And until next time, this has been Dave and Ophelia. Thank you once again. Signing off. Good night. 
and good luck. Peace.